on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. If you look at those renewable jobs, those 1 million renewable jobs, that'll be more than two times the number of fossil fuel related electricity jobs that currently exist in the country. A new study projects the impact of a 50% renewable future on Iowa. The Paycheck Protection Program is back in business, and you'll learn about the business of making music. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of January, 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. A number of similarly-minded groups representing wind, solar, hydropower, and energy storage came together as the new year began to form the American Clean Power Association. The group supported a clean energy roadmap for the decade with the goal of reaching 50% renewable electricity generation by the year 2030. I spoke last month when the report came out with John Hensley, then Vice President of Research and Analytics at the American Wind Energy Association. This study focuses on the clean energy transition that we could expect to see over the coming decades, so through the end of 2030. And in particular, it focuses on smart and aggressive administrative actions as well as legislative actions that can drive an energy transition forward and deliver economic growth. We're really interested in understanding if we shoot for targets like 50% renewable energy on the grid, what does that mean for the economy overall? What does that mean for job creation? What does that mean for economic growth? What does that mean for payments to state and local communities? Uh, we really wanna dig at how, how can the energy transmission transition be part of the economic revitalization that we so desperately need coming off of the COVID-19 pandemic. And for those who may not be aware, when we're talking about the phrase clean energy, what is involved in that? Yeah, so we actually, as part of this study, looked across all clean energy technologies. So wind, solar, battery storage, hydroelectric generation. Nuclear is part of the analysis, uh, but we don't bucket it as part of the, the clean energy footprint that we talk about. So in particular, if you reach what goal by the year 2030, in other words, what goal within the next decade, what's that going to mean for the state of Iowa in a very tangible way? Yeah, great question. So in particular, we're looking at trying to deliver 50% or more of the country's electricity through renewable energy sources by 2030. And as a result of that, in Iowa specifically, you can anticipate a couple of things to happen. One, there are going to be gigawatts of new renewable energy projects that are developed in the state. So this growth in wind energy that you've seen in the states over the last decade will continue. You'll also start to see solar projects, energy storage projects come into the state. So new investment in infrastructure. Uh, second, you're going to see major investment from a capital standpoint. So all these projects you know, require quite a bit of capital to get them underway and, and up and running. We're looking at $10 billion in capital investment in the state over, over the coming decade. Then importantly, we also wanted to look at what does that mean for state and local jurisdictions, as well as the landowners who make their land available for these projects. 
And we found that over the course of the decade, we're going to see an estimated $1 billion in payments to state and local governments in the forms of tax payments, uh, property tax payments, et cetera. And then for the landowners out there, they're going to see payments of over $1.1 billion, which is we like to call it as a major cash crop. And definitely, when you start talking about billion with a B, those are numbers that get people's attention to be certain. Now, you indicated this is predicated on 50% renewable electricity generation. If, for whatever reason, it's 30% instead of 50, is it a pro rata change in the dollar amounts, or do you need to get to that threshold in order to truly, if you will, in a dollar-for-dollar way, get the benefits you've just mentioned? My understanding is from economies of scale and and the size that you need, you kind of need a certain size in order to get that kind of results. It's not simply reduce this by half and you can also reduce that by half. Yeah. So I was an interesting case. You already have a very active renewable energy industry in the state. And so you need to keep adding some fuel to the fire uh, to keep that growth going, keep the job creation happening. Um, So we do want to see something that's sort of you know, a higher scale of, of activity happening in the state. And especially as we start to think about some of these climate targets that are out there and these greater ambitions to reach things like 50% renewable energy, those really do necessitate a major step change in the level of renewable energy deployment that we should see in the country. One of the other things that Iowa in particular, I think will benefit from is this transition towards renewable energy is really going to require a major investment in our transmission infrastructure. So the, the lines that move the electricity around the system and, and help to connect those, you know, really windy or sunny areas of the country to the demand centers. And Iowa kind of sits at this nexus of the country between those, you know, windy plain states and the power demand centers in Illinois and, and further east. Uh, and so investment in the transmission infrastructure is going to be a major player in this as well. And that, of course, will also bring jobs, further investment, um, and again, additional tax payments for the state. So it's not just about the the renewable energy projects. It's also about the infrastructure to deliver them to customers. Now, that's been one of the issues that's been hotly contested. Folks in Iowa saying, we don't just want to be a highway. If you're trying to transmit the power coming from a place, let's say South Dakota, North Dakota, and you're simply traveling it across the state of Iowa to a place like Illinois, well, it adversely affects our landscape to look at these lines, et cetera. What's the response from an industry standpoint to those who say, we don't just want to be the generator for other people? Yeah, so maybe a couple thoughts. One is, you know, Iowa already has a pretty established uh, power base of, of particular wind projects out there that are generating electricity. And of course, Iowa can't necessarily consume all that electricity. So it needs the transmission lines to take it to other markets as well. And so if every state in the link had that kind of attitude, we'd never be able to move power anywhere in the country. So, you know, it's important to keep that in mind. The other piece is it doesn't just matter where the power ultimately ends up for the state to benefit uh, in, in terms of job creation, right? Those power lines have to be constructed in Iowa. So you're going to have the construction crews, Uh, even manufacturing facilities in the state that supply a lot of the parts and components that ultimately go into those things. And then the operations and maintenance jobs, you know, once these lines are up, you can't just forget about them. You have to go out there and repair them after storms or, or just keep them up and running. So the operations and maintenance side will also bring an additional investment. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, more benefits than than just being able to move that power through through the state. And at the end of the day, Iowa will also benefit from having access to that lower cost renewable energy in the Dakotas or in other parts of the country. And that will result in lower payments on the customer's electricity bill. Iowa, as you have noted, has been a state that has been moving forward, especially with regard to wind. There are other states that are still mining coal. And so going with a plan like this is going to adversely affect certain industries. That's not to say those workers can't be retrained and employed and deployed other places. But strictly from an Iowa standpoint, if this builds out as you are suggesting, are there negative impacts in terms of existing industries that are going to go by the wayside? Again, with the thought that potentially there could be a transference with skills. But is there less of an adverse impact in Iowa as opposed to some of these other states? Well, Iowa is not a major producer of commodities like coal or oil or natural gas. So, you know, a little bit less exposed to those markets as opposed to a state like North Dakota or Wyoming that are very heavy producers in that sense. One of the interesting things that we found in this in this study is that by 2030, meeting that 50% renewable target is going to create somewhere in the order of a million jobs across the country. If you look at those renewable jobs, those 1 million renewable jobs, that'll be more than two times the number of fossil fuel related electricity jobs that currently exist in the country. So the replacement rate is more than double, uh, which is great in terms of, you know, being able to for those skills, that knowledge base, in addition to the job creation that will happen. Where can people go if they'd like more information or would like to see some of these numbers and some of the, the survey points for themselves? Yeah, the best place to go is cleanpower.org. Check out our press release. And then there's a great story map where you can investigate all the details of the report and kind of interact with some of the key facts. John Hensley, Vice President of Research and Analytics for the American Wind Energy Association, which became part of the American Clean Power Association earlier this month. More information and the full study can be found online at cleanpower.org. We spoke via Zoom on Thursday, December 17. Still to come, PPP Round 2 and making money while making music. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Center for Business Growth and Innovation at the University of Northern Iowa. Sponsors of a free webinar titled, Who Can Afford to Buy My Company? It will be held one more time this month on Wednesday, January 20th at 10 a.m. To register or for more information, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on the Events tab. Thanks to legislation passed late last month, the popular Paycheck Protection Program again began accepting applications just this past week. PPP provides loans to help businesses keep their workforce employed during the coronavirus crisis. These are administered by the Small Business Administration. There are now two categories. First draw PPP loans for those that did not receive funds during the first PPP distribution last year, and second draw PPP loans for those who did. The Paycheck Protection Program is a loan designed to provide a direct incentive for small businesses to keep their workers on payroll. First draw PPP loans can be used to help fund payroll costs, including benefits, 
and may also be used to pay for mortgage interest, rent, utilities, worker protection costs related to COVID, uninsured property damage costs caused by looting or vandalism last year, and certain supplier costs and expenses for operations. Now, PPP loans have an interest rate of 1%. Eligible entities include sole proprietors, independent contractors, and self-employed persons. Any small business concern that meets SBA's size standards, including certain nonprofit and veterans organizations. The Paycheck Protection Program now allows certain eligible borrowers that previously received a PPP loan to apply for a second draw PPP loan under the same general terms as before. For most borrowers, the maximum loan amount of a second draw PPP loan is two and a half times average monthly costs in 2019 or 2020. A borrower is generally eligible for a second draw PPP loan if the borrower previously received a first draw loan and will or has used the full amount of that only for authorized uses. Other requirements, no more than 300 employees, and you must demonstrate at least a 25% reduction in gross receipts between comparable quarters in 2019 and 2020. PPP loans are fully forgivable if employee and compensation levels are maintained, the loan proceeds are spent on payroll costs and other eligible expenses, and at least 60% of the proceeds are spent on payroll costs. For more information, you can contact the SBA or your local lending institution. Coming up, an Iowa-based band gets worldwide attention. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Center for Business Growth and Innovation at the University of Northern Iowa, sponsors of a free webinar titled, Who Can Afford to Buy My Company? It will be held one more time this month on Wednesday, January 20th at 10 a.m. To register or for more information, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on the Events tab. It all seems glamorous. Seeing our favorite musical artists traveling to concerts in chartered planes or tricked-out tour buses. But they didn't start with that lifestyle. More common for those who are called to write and perform music is to drive long distances in personal vehicles right next to their equipment, cramming the whole group into a single hotel room to save money, and maintaining a schedule that is hard on families. In this week's business profile, I talk with Jenny Grouse of the A.V. Grouse Band, a collection of musicians primarily from Decorah and the Quad Cities, and we learn that some things are just meant to be, pandemic or not. So A.V. Grouse Band came together uh, at the time I was working in broadcasting and was speaking to a communications course at uh, Augustana College in the Quad Cities. And I was there the night before because I had to be in the classroom by 8 a.m., and, uh, and I decided that there had to be live music in the Quad Cities. And I've always sort of been in local bands and things like that. Um, so I liked to check out those opportunities. And there was indeed a, a blues jam happening across the street at a place that used to be called Muddy Waters, uh, right in Bettendorf, I believe. And um, I, I went in and the guy that is now half of the, 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 the head name of the band or the co-leader of the band, uh, A.B. Grouse, is Chris A.B., He's the guitar player and Brian West, who is our drummer, were 
were both running that jam along with Chris's brother. So uh, it was it was a moment of jamming with them, which happened at the end of the night that it felt kind of magical. I mean, I've jammed with a lot of people and I know they have too, but sometimes things are just right and you feel it. And and then it took about eight months of me bugging Chris Avey, really bugging him because he was in a lot of different bands and he's used to not having to like try to put things together. And I knew this could be good. So I bugged him for a good eight months to just try to, let's do a show. Just give me a shot. So, uh, so we did a show. We did a weekend of acoustic shows and it worked. And because of that, that's how we started kind of playing together as a band and then creating the business on January 1st, 2017, after we had done New Year's Eve in Decora as the Chris A.V. Band with special guest Jenny Grouse. So that next morning we all agreed, yep, this is it. And so that's really how the business of our band formed, and that's how we came together. It is quite a leap to go from let's play together and do this, <laughs> in essence, on the side, to this is now your full-time work. So yeah. what does it take to, again, take that leap and say not only that you have enough confidence in yourself and your work, but that there is a market that is sustainable? Yeah, that's a great question, and I honestly think that my years – working as a non-musician. So being a musician at night, but working in business during the day really helped cultivate my sense of what is a realistically wise leap when it comes to the financial basics of having a business and making sure that it is something that is sustainable. In my years working in Los Angeles for films and working on budgets there with stars, encore original movies, and also then in radio, running uh, as a station manager for radio station here in Decorah, I really learned the basics of why budgeting was important and how forecasting is important. And I think a lot of musicians, they're thinking more about the music and we should be. That is, that is the main part of what we have to put out there. And that is why there are managers. But I do think that that's one element that I can bring to this band that allows us to maybe jump ahead more successfully from the beginning because we had a good quality sound. We had good songwriting. Um, and then we also had my sort of obsessive, <laughs> my obsessive tenacity when it comes to like having a business model that runs well. I mean, if you open a restaurant, you don't just go, hmm, I'm a good cook. Here, let's just open a restaurant. It'll be fine. No, you have to put research into it. You have to analyze what's going to work in that market. You have to analyze what your place will be in that market so you know where you stand out. If you don't know what your discernible difference is, how are you going to be able to really make your mark in a place that you're trying to make a living working in? So, so for me, all of those business factors really do work into how we function business-wise as a band, how we make music's a little different. And that's a very unique creative process. You can't force it. It just no. comes naturally. And you work toward a point where you can say, we have a body of material, and now let's put out a recording. Let's put out our own CD. It takes years to get to the point where you feel like you can do it. The industry yeah. is such that you can now do it. You don't just need to go to some label and be discovered. You can do this yourself. Yeah. But then you have it all done, and hello, COVID-19. Talk yeah. about how you put the thing together to begin with, using Iowa talent and Iowa facilities. Yes. But then how you adapted when your CD launch party has to be virtual. 
It's true. So we had done a couple of things that started to propel us. So different Iowa Blues Challenges, the International Blues Challenge, and had some really good momentum going. Um, we had an EP that we put together to kind of test our style when it came to recording. But we knew with our debut album, we needed to make a mark and we needed to make a significant investment to do that. So we had the songs ready and I really wanted to work in Iowa. There was a conversation that we had and it is a difficult conversation to have as a band, but working within Iowa was important to me, at least for the first one. And we did that with Catamount Recording Studios in Waterloo. And what an amazing facility. They just, Travis, who ended up taking care of us while we were there, really knows how to set things up so that you're successful. So that was important using a, a an Iowa recording studio. So yeah, all of those things had to come together in order for us to then launch the album, which was uh, slated for March 20th. We had a publicist that we paid for, we were all ready to go. And then quite literally on the 20th of March was the day that uh, we ended up going live, but from the apartment, not in a bar where we were supposed to have our CD uh, release party, our album release party. And it was only three of us because not all of the members felt comfortable coming together. And we completely understood that. When that happens, you have to reassess quickly. That night we didn't reassess, we had to do the show. We had to get our music out there. And we had over 15,000 views of our sort of album release party online, which was very cool. Jenny Grouse of the A.V. Grouse Band. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, January 13th. For more information, go to avgrouseband.com, A-V-E-Y-G-R-O-U-W-S band.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program, like Jenny Grouse. You'll find those as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.